The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello and welcome to the Circling the Bases podcast. My name is DJ Short and I'm back here with my co-host Drew Silva. We're live on Twitch right now, so welcome to our audience there if you're checking it out. If you're listening in podcast form or watching later on YouTube, we're recording Thursday afternoon, July 14th, a little bit after 5 Eastern time. It has been a while since we could say this, but the Baltimore Orioles are... The hottest team in baseball right now? Well, the yeah. Mariners, too. I think they both won 10 in a row, right? But uh, still pretty incredible. 10 in a row. Their longest winning streak since 1999. I believe they won 13 straight that year. Uh, the Orioles are now one game over 500 at 45 and 44, right in the thick of a crowded wildcard race, including every team in the American League East. So we figured this would be a good time to bring on Orioles beat writer Zach Silver from MLB.com. Zach, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no, no worries at all. Thanks for having me. It's uh, quite a revelation to have the Orioles kind of the topic of national conversation in such a positive way. And uh, yeah, it's been quite the season to be covering so far. Is this your first season on the Orioles beat? Is that right? Yeah, so last year I was in St. Louis, as you probably know. <laughs> and then this is my first year. There's an opening up here in Baltimore, and I, I'm from the area. I'm from Maryland, so it was a good chance to come home. I was here in 18 and 19 in kind of a backup floater role and a little bit of 20 as well, but that was yeah, obviously a crazy year. So I've been around the rebuild for a couple of years. As it, I covered mostly the away teams, but still tagged in on Orioles coverage here and there. I very well know, you know I was there when Manny got traded because I was at the All-Star game in D.C., so I've kind of seen this rebuild start and seen where kind of Michael Elias started with it and now where he's taking it. Yeah, I mean, I bet when you took that job, you're thinking, all right, there's going to be kind of a minor league focus. We're going to be talking about prospects as compared to like the Cardinals where it's very, you know, they're focused on contending right now. And that must be exciting to like all of a sudden shift coverage to where the focus is on the major league team. And I think the interesting thing about this winning streak and really it started in like mid June, they have the best record in the AL East since June 11th, I think, which is crazy when you're talking about Yankees who've obviously been red hot all year. The Red Sox have played really well recently. The Blue Jays are a different story, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, I it's like you would think, all right, the Orioles are going to get better and better throughout the year. And it's because they're going to graduate all of these prospects, but the, I mean, Adley Rutschman's really the only guy that they've been able to graduate because there have been some injuries on the farm. 
I don't know that it just seems strange to me that they're doing it with like guys who were on the roster last year um, when they were not good. And, you know, a lot of like retreads, like reclamation projects in the bullpen and the rotation, the bullpen especially has been tremendous. And we can talk about a lot of those players, but I don't know. There's not really a, a question here, but it, <laughs> it, it, it must be cool to be covering an exciting team that's getting it done. And I think kind of an unconventional way. Well, yeah, kind of going back to some of the first things you were saying, spring training, you know, basically the first day we got there after the lockout ended, we learned that Adley Rutschman had a tricep strain. So that, yeah. that was going to be our story of spring training. That was going to be kind of how we filled all our daily content was what he's doing. Is he going to break camp with the team? Um, and obviously he got sidetracked and, and, you know, he got called up in May. But they have had one other prospect that they called up in this time frame. That's Kyle Bradish, who had one really, really dynamite start in St. Louis. But has been a real struggle ever since he's actually injured right now is with right shoulder inflammation. But yeah, it's been this ragtag bunch that kind of fits this narrative that they enjoy, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, why not us mentality guys who are cast off from other organizations, you know, their bullpen kind of, like you said, only has two players that were sort of acquired like in a planned sense. There's Keegan Aiken who was drafted by them and uh, Dylan Tate, who was part of the Zach Britton deal. And both of those guys are, you know, failed starters who have gone to the bullpen and had some success. You know, Brian Baker, Joey Crable, Jorge Lopez, those are all waiver claims that they've sort of been able to formulate in this pitching lab that, you know, a lot of teams around the AL East, Kevin Cash, is can't can't stop raving about this Orioles bullpen. It kind of fits the, the narrative that his has, where it's a lot of different yeah. arm slots, a lot of different velocities, a lot of different things that guys do well. So um, I think it's mostly a testament to what the organization is kind of able to implement now and about their their third or fourth year in charge of just a top to bottom farm system. They have guys in place, guys and gals in place who they want to sort of spearhead what, what they're doing and, you know, top to bottom their farm system. You know, the, the Justin Ramsey's a pitching coach at AAA Norfolk and he's gone up each level with Grayson Rodriguez. So he's a guy who's sort of been in the system and wanting to, you know, form some of these pitchers and be along for, for the whole way. So it is kind of nutty when you see someone like Austin both come from the nationals and start to have success, you know, it's kind of just, in a way starts to breed this confidence in a pitching lab that the Orioles seem to kind of be have building. So I was looking at a stat on, on MLB.com. I was actually on the Orioles site and it said during the 10 game win streak, uh, the starting rotation has a three zero two ERA. <laughs> and if you look at this rotation, you know, most, you know, even casual baseball fans, you know, might know Jordan Lyles, but otherwise, you know, there's some names here that a lot of fans might not be familiar with. Tyler Wells, Spencer Watkins, who had another good good start on Wednesday, uh, Dean Kremer, and like you just said, Austin Voth. And how they're succeeding, I think, is really fascinating to me. They have one of the lowest swinging strike rates in the majors. The bullpen's been better as far as that's concerned, keeping the ball on the ground and in the ballpark. But what's like the secret sauce with how they're, they're succeeding right now? The left field walls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got to talk about the left field wall. Yeah. No, I mean, th that's certainly part of it. Um, if you look at Jordan Lyles' home away splits, they're pretty stark. I think his ERA is under three at home. And, you know, I think he had a good start in Chicago the other day. That probably brought it a little bit down, but it's still, you know, well over four to five on the road. So they're, they're definitely benefiting from that. And the kind of the hope is that, you know, as you just, if you just look at their farm system, they have Grayson Rodriguez and Deal Hall and Kyle Bradish. But after that, they don't really have top of the line talent in their farm system at the moment. And, and that's sort of the philosophy that Mike Elias goes with. He goes with hitters and middle of the field talent that, and he, and he looks for pitchers that are so, sort of a little bit more developed and a little more seasoned 
and maybe acquires him via trade or acquires him, you know, like we, we saw them trade Alex Cobb for four pitchers from the Angels and Kyle, Kyle Brash is one of them. Um, so so that, that aspect is, is interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, this current rotation is, has been fascinating because it has been so, you know, heaved over. John Means hasn't been a part of it. Grayson Rodriguez should be in it by now. Um, Deal Hall still hasn't been in it yet. And then, you know, someone like Kyle Bradish, again, who's been in it, he's had some struggles. But it, it's been this really fascinating sort of mix of both mental and physical. Someone like Dean Kramer has had a great year. And he and Spencer Watkins both say it's confidence. It's, you know, throwing strikes. If, if you look at the, uh, you know, the rec- both the record and the sort of pitching number since Adley Rutschman got called up, it has a lot to do with him. The, the way catchers are setting up in this system right now is they're setting up a little bit more in the middle of the plate. And if a guy misses, it at least misses into the black you know, six, seven, eight inches out of the zone and the walk numbers are way down. So it's a lot of really good stuff that's just kind of coming into fruition at the moment. Yeah, I actually was looking at Adley Rutschman's, uh, you know, baseball reference page before coming on the show here. And I believe he's 91st percentile in in frame and framings, which is pretty, pretty awesome to see for a young catcher. And he's also, there were those initial struggles offensively for Rutschman. I believe he struck out like, 15 times in his first 13 games, but he's been great ever since 839 OPS, 13 doubles, four homers over his last 30 games, just 17 strikeouts in that time. Again, he struck out 15 times in his first 13 games. So sort of more like the as advertised version of Rushman we thought we were going to see. Yeah, it's been a bit of patience with him. It's kind of been just a case of getting comfortable is what everyone has said. Um, you know, his, his batter's eye is, is kind of his best trade at the plate. He's, he hits for really great contact, but also, um, you know, he, he's got a really smooth swing, especially from the left side of the plate. His right-handed swing has been a little bit slow so far this year, but that's such a huge component of his game is his switch hitterness that he can kind of hit anywhere in the lineup. And it's like, you have a lefty or a righty. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a little bit of a slow build for him, but over these past several weeks, he's started to kind of catch fire. Um, and you know, like, like, like you mentioned, I mean, his, his, the numbers that pitchers have when they throw at him, I think the overall pitching fit when he's in, in the game is almost one better than Robinson Trinos and just a little bit better than Anthony Benboom, who was that second catcher to start the year. So, um, players, uh, pitchers like Jordan Lyles, veterans who are just kind of getting to know him are commending him for kind of getting an action. And he didn't throw that. None of these guys threw to him in spring training because he was hurt the entire time. Right. And he's been able to kind of build with them on the fly and. He has this really weird, or it's it's a great um, tendency where he meets a pitcher at the, on the foul line every single end of an inning, and some guys are still kind of startled when they see how they rush and running towards him after they record an out, and he gives them a fist bump, and they kind of walk to the dugout together. So he's been a great presence. Everyone's been really happy with just being around him, and kind of it's been a spark since he's gotten here. I think they're at this point probably like 30 and 20 since he debuted on May 21st or just before that. Um, so it's kind of been synonymous with him. Yeah, I'm just imagining this team, what you said earlier, with if they had a, a healthy John Means and if Grayson Rodriguez, like he was probably going to come up the next week after Rutschman, it seemed like, right before he got hurt. What is the update on Rodriguez? It was a lat strain, right? Yeah, it was a right lat strain he he had on June 1st at down Norfolk. So far, everything's good. Um, kind of the prognosis from the get-go was pretty stark in that it's either going to be maybe September or not at all this year. And we'll see, never have they sort of made any decisions at the major league level or on their farm because of the major league level. So, you know, if they're in a, if they're staying in this race and stay, you know, chasing a wild card spot, it's possible he could pitch in relief at the big leagues this year. I would say 
pretty unlikely because they're going to want to get him back on a mound in the minors for extended period of time. Um, and even if he does, it would wholly be as a, as a relief pitcher. And, you know, it's going to be a very big if they want to even put him in that situation at, for his first major league experience. I mean, we've seen guys like Adam Wainwright, obviously, famously pitched as a reliever before he kind of made that full turn into a starter at the big leagues. But for, so right now he's just rehabbing down in Sarasota at their complexes. Still no baseball activity yet. Still not throwing off a mound. So until he kind of starts playing catches, it's going to be a little bit of a wait and see. We should circle back to Jorge Lopez. I know we talked about him a bit earlier, but being that this is usually a fantasy baseball podcast and he's been, I don't know, he's turned himself into like a dominant closer and like DJ and I, and I'm sure you, we've known of this guy since he was a prospect in the Brewers system and then got traded to the Royals and like nasty raw stuff, but could never really figure it out as a starter. Um, have, have you delved in or like talked to people around the Orioles about what made it all click for him in this high leverage relief role? And I don't know whether it's sustainable. Is he going to become like a, one of the better closers in the sport? Cause he's been that so far this year. Yeah. I mean, if you look at his numbers last year, he was pretty good through the first four innings and the fifth inning, it all yeah. kind of just came apart. And, you know, I was really guys getting a third look at him, being able to see him again and again, I mean, his sinker, has picked up, I think, about three miles an hour this year. He's just been able to kind of not have to worry about pitching with length, and he can just kind of let it let it eat. Um, and it has a lot of movement that, you know, especially for right-handed hitters, goes in on their hands and, and is hard to make contact with. So that's really suited him well. And he has been asked for a lot of multi-inning saves. I think at last check, he's either first or second with David Bednar for the most multi-inning saves in the majors. And that starter history helps him just what it's like to go up and down in an inning. Um, but yeah, it, it's been this really revelatory story. I mean, like you said, he's had this great pass, um, but he's never been able to kind of find that consistency. I think like case in point, I think in 16, it was 16, 17, he threw, he went into the ninth inning with a perfect game for the Royals and like one of his last starts of the season and the last two starts, he gave up like 10 earned runs. Yeah. So it's kind of like this Jekyll and Hyde with him. But, you know, for now he had this little spell, um, at the beginning of July, that's kind of waned away a little bit. But he's still very rock solid. He has a great story. His, his son has been battling a lot of uh, serious medical conditions, but he's finally healthy enough to be around the team. And, and he's going to be in Los Angeles him for the All-Star game. So he's one of the most respected players in the, in the clubhouse. He's one of the nicest guys in the clubhouse. Um, and he's kind of the biggest question if who they – I mean, Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander obviously are their own questions. But, you know, if, he's, if you think you can replicate his success in the bullpen and – and kind of just elevate Felix Bautista or someone like that. He might be someone that they feel like they can move on from. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed.
With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Very cool story for sure. We'll get into more in a minute, but first, a word for our listeners. Weekends are better with MLB Sunday leadoff. Coverage presented by Uber Eats. Catch the Royals take on the Blue Jays in Toronto this Sunday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Live on Peacock. To learn more, go to peacocktv.com slash MLB. And if you want a chance to win $25,000 on the game, download the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet and enter Sunday's free Grand Slam Pick'em Contest. Well, as far as fantasy managers are concerned, obviously a big name after his breakout season last year was Cedric Mullins. He was just incredible. Uh, and, you know, speaking from a, a fantasy manager's perspective, he was generally drafted in the second or third round yeah. in mixed league drafts this year. So he got off to a bit of a slow start, but, you know, talking about the past month where the Orioles have had the best record in the AL East, he's looked a lot more like the Mullins that we saw last year. He's actually hitting over 300 um, over the past month, which has been huge for him. And, you know, as someone who's followed them since spring training on the beat here, do you think he felt a little bit of pressure early in the season to kind of replicate what he did last year or is things just sort of evening out for him over the course of the season? Yeah, I definitely say pressure, pressure was a big thing. You know, it's not that anyone in, in the Orioles organization was sort of thrusting that onto him. It was internal. It was a lot of outside as well. Um, but he, he's, he's definitely found a rhythm. I think he sort of came onto the scene and sort of exploded last year. He had a few years in his back pocket, but, this the book kind of came out of him a little bit maybe this year where guys are starting pitching him a lot more high and inside he was struggling to catch up to that um you know kind of the the biggest tick for him is if he's catching up to the fastball if he can hit the fastball then he's going to pull that ball he's so strong that he can flick a ball you know 380 down the right field line for a home run or he can you know send into the gap and he's fast enough where he can make that into the double or triple so um for him it's been mostly kind of shedding some of that away. Obviously, he, he as well had a bit of a medical revelation over the offseason. He was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, obviously, you know, not necessarily, a, he's not going to blame it on that or anything, but that's just something, you know, that you have to work through, kind of maybe some strength that has to come back. So um, I, I think it's all kind of sort of coming together for him. Finally, it was a bit of a slow start. Expectations and pressure sort of came along with that. But, you know, he, he's all things considered. If you look at baseball reference and Fangraphs war, he's their number one contributor even though Austin Hayes has been great and probably was their likeliest all-star after Jorge Lopez, he's kind of been the steadiest one so far. Tyler yeah, Wells. Been, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Sure. Well, I was going to mention, if you want to keep talking about Mullins though, I mean, do you think he's been, I mean, I know he's a left-handed hitter. Do you think he's been affected by the left field wall though? He did have some opposite home home runs last year, like a guy that hit two, two all fields. Um, maybe he's, he's been robbed a few times by that left field wall experience. Yeah, anecdotally, I actually I actually don't can't recall one ball that he's specifically been robbed <laughs> yeah. of. It's been a lot of Mancini and Mountcastle and a few Hayes. Um, he's he's kind of gone into a little pull heavy, not in a bad way this year, but um, that's kind of his, his strength. So you know, the fly court right field at Canyon Yards is is pretty nice for him because if you loft, it's it's tall, but it's not super far. So if you just loft the ball up there, 
you know, it can carry, especially in these summer months. So left field hasn't really done so much. The biggest thing with the wall, I guess, has done at Camden is it's made Austin Hayes a left fielder as opposed to a right fielder. Yeah. Um, and it's always interesting to see opponents when they come to Camden Yards, kind of how they orient their outfield. Some managers do put their best or second best defensive outfielder in left field. Um, you know, but on the road, it's Austin Hayes is in right field and Anthony Santander is in left field just because the walls is as much a factor there. So that's kind of been the biggest change is, is Hayes has become a left fielder at home and then he learns to play right field on the road. I, I was actually looking at spray charts um, before the show here to, to kind of see, you know, which players have been robbed of home runs. And I thought it was going to be Mountcastle that maybe had the most, but it's actually Hayes. I believe he has three or four that should have been over. Um, Mountcastle has two. I didn't look at Mancini, but I think I remember, I think it was in May. It was after the Yankees came to Camden Yards and Aaron Judd said something. And then Trey Mancini was like, yeah, everyone hates it. <laughs> has that changed since the Orioles have been winning baseball games? It's certainly less of a topic of conversation because you know, <laughs> it's not like that's the, the defining factor anymore. Um, I, I don't know. I know Hayes is up there. Mancini's definitely up there. I think if you look at uh, Savant's like ex expected home runs at one point, if not still, Mancini had the biggest uh, difference in home runs versus expected home runs. And I, I think either Mike Petriello or, or Nathan Ruiz from Baltimore Sun tweeted something to the fact that if he played every single game at Great American Ballpark where the Reds play, he'd have like 22 home runs on the air. So <laughs> yeah. um, he's hitting, I mean, his underlying numbers are great. And that's, uh, that's going to be fascinating to see if they move on from him just because he's such a, a clubhouse guy and everyone, you know, basically the face of the franchise, say for Rutschman right now. And he's also on a basically essentially a rental deal because he's a mutual option at the end of this year that he kind of sees as, as a formality. He's expected to get picked up. So, if, and he's not really taking anyone's spot. Like Kyle Stowers is in Norfolk right now. He's probably on the, on the, on the call, on the verge of a call up. But Trey isn't really like a, a set outfielder. And that would be Anthony Santander, who has two years of control left after this year. So I'd say he's probably the bigger trade chip, but it's, it's going to be, I mean, a team like the Mets could sure use a Mancini. A team like the Astros could yeah. sure use him. And it, the, the market might be better for him, but there might not be, you might not get, you might get like a 20 to 30 ranked prospect back for him. And is that really worth it to, for the public fallout as well? I don't know. Right. I think that's the big question for the Orioles, especially at a time when there's these good vibes going. And the trade deadline's only two weeks, two and a half weeks away. You know, I don't think they're going to completely fall apart over the next two weeks, but you never know. Um, but yeah, given that he is the face of the franchise, his story, everything he's gone through to get a kind of B prospect back who may not move the needle. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I, I don't know if it's if it's worth it for them. Um, in fact, you know, if you're 500, you you got a chance. Yeah, they're in such a weird spot. Yeah, yeah, um, it's almost it's like it's kind of twofold because on the one hand, you want to sort of see this through, and I'm sure you know if you ask Trey and he said you go to the postseason with A team or B team, he'd probably say he wants to go with the Orioles. But if they are going to fall out of contention and he can't he can't go to a contender. You know, these next two and a half weeks will be telling kind of maybe for what his future is. But there is a sense maybe that you owe it to him to kind of, if a contender wants him and a contender, you know, has a spot for him for October baseball that maybe you do owe it to someone like that to have a chance to play October baseball. So right. it would certainly, I mean, it's such a bizarre, crazy messaging that comes with that, especially given his story. But, you know, in some ways it, it is maybe a blessing in disguise that he does get a chance to go play somewhere that will give him a shot in the postseason for the first yeah. time. And there's no August trades anymore either. So this is this is it for these yeah. teams. That, and it's interesting, especially with the expanded playoffs. Like you really got to commit one way or the other. So it's going to be 
certainly fascinating to see how that plays out. And I was looking up a stat going back to the wall situation. Let me see if I can pull it up here. So um, Orioles pitchers at home are allowing 0.79 home runs per nine innings. Only the Yankees and Giants are lower so far this season. Last year, the Orioles allowed 1.93 home (laughs) runs per nine at home, more than double, almost three times what they're allowing this year. That's, that is insane. I know the baseball's different and there's all that kind of conversation, but that is a ridiculous difference that I, I don't even know. I mean, the wall is part of it, but that can't be all of it, you know? It's probably the wall and, I mean, the we started off talking about, like, the pitching philosophy, trying to to miss on the black and, and trying to kind of pitch to soft contact, it seems like, what they're doing. And Tyler Wells is a guy that I was about to bring up earlier, like, for fantasy folks, like he's been a super valuable streamer. You wish there were a little more strikeouts. Like he pitched exclusively in relief last year and had a really good strikeout rate. This year, the strikeouts really aren't there, but it seems like his stuff is really good. And I don't know. He, it seems like he he could add more strikeouts if he wanted to, not to like a Shane Bieber level, but that's what I'm thinking. A guy who has really good command and you know, could miss bats a little bit more than he has. Has there been any talk about his development as a pitcher going from relief last year, last year to the rotation this year and having a lot of success kind of in both roles? Yeah, so it, kind of he and Jorge Lopez are a little bit one-to-one where we kind of entered spring training thinking that Tyler Wells is going to be the closer, maybe be in contention for the closer. And then Brian Hyde says, oh, we're actually going to stick him in the rotation, try him out there, and we're going to, you know, put Jorge in the bullpen, stick him there and see how that sort of evolves. So whereas you've seen Jorge really ramp up his velocity, I go for a lot more strikeouts and a lot better stuff. Tyler has kind of had to rear it back, kind of learn how to pitch longer. And for him, it's not just as much sort of the difference in pitching, but also just how, kind of how much he's being held back. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of his background where he was a rule five pick uh, last year, but he didn't pitch at all in 20 because of the washed away season. And he didn't pitch in 19 because of Tommy John. So He's coming off one relief year that comes off two lost years. So they're being incredibly careful for him. They have an innings limit sort of penciled on him. And sort of the thought at the beginning of the season is that he's going to stick in the rotation and potentially move into relief. I think at this point, they they like him so much as a starter that they're just going to be a little bit more cautious and going to use him in a little bit shorter spurts. Yeah. So if he goes 90 pitches, one outing, he's probably going to be held back to about 60 to 70 his next outing. He hasn't topped... I think he maybe stopped 100 once or hasn't topped it at all. So um, it's kind of the, the story every single time he pitches. What what pitch count is Tyler Wells on this year? This this start, you know, they they love to let him, they want to let him eat, they want to let him loose, but they want to do that in 2023. They kind of see this as a bridge year for him, and his future very very well may be in 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 the closer role or in the bullpen. Um, but for now, they they kind of just kind of the general rule of thumb is it's easier to build a guy down than it is to build a guy up on the fly. And at, at least right now, he's passing flying colors. So a couple more topics I wanted to get to before you go. Uh, Adley Rushman's here, as we talked about, but who's next among the prospects? You know, I hear every day, I feel like I get a tweet at me about Gunnar Henderson or D.L. Hall, but there's also Jordan Westberg, who's close. Uh, Taryn Vavra also is close, another infielder. Do we see some of these guys, most of these guys, all of them before the season's through? Yeah, I'd say... I'd say, you know, probably the over betting over under probably be two and a half. I think 
definitely Taryn Vavra and Kyle Stowers get, get up by the end of the year, or maybe three and a half if you include D.L. Hall. Kind of the iffy ones are Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg. We talked to Elias the other week, and he said that those guys are, are definitely making noise, and anyone who's doing something like that is definitely being looked at. So that was a little more promising than kind of we had prospected out this year for especially Gunnar and, and Jordan. I mean, Jordan had a little bit of a slow time in, in Bowie, but now he's gotten up to AAA. He's playing better than he has all year. I guess maybe the better pitching he's, he's suited for. Uh, Gunnar is just an immaculate incredible season he's sort of the you know especially with the draft coming up this weekend a lot of high school talent he's kind of the only really top 60 picks that the Orioles have spent on high school or under Elias and kind of with that they've been a little reassured at their player development project they call them a flagship of the player development system they have um, so that could very well see them take a high schooler this coming Sunday but I would say definitely Vavra definitely Stowers definitely DL Hall at some point and then kind of Henderson Westberg are, are the iffy ones, and but you know they're they're making it hard at least not to ignore them. Yeah, speaking of prospects with the Orioles, I mean, what Heston Kerstad's been doing since coming back into action, I mean, it's just awesome to see. Uh, he's basically hitting like 500. It's been <laughs> ridiculous, and you know, given his story and everything he's gone through, man, it, it's it's really easy to root for. Uh, but he still has that that pedigree, and I mean, if he's healthy, you know, he's someone who could move quickly as well. Yeah, I, I wasn't in Aberdeen the other day to see him, but I think the quote he had was a, it was a minor setback for a major comeback, and that's kind of what he has right now. And um, granted, when he was in Delmarva, that's the low A, it was against a lot of young pitchers, kids just coming up from the Florida League. And but he, he still, after not seeing live pitching for the better part of two years, it was pretty incredible to see him pick up right where he left off. And yeah, I mean that that's kind of the dark horse, I guess, in this entire farm system. He's slid off the top 100 list. He's sort of slid in some of the rankings. But the Orioles, if they really think that they have this pipeline of, of talent, then he's kind of chief up there. I mean, he's the second highest pick in the organization behind Rutschman, and that's not a small thing. So we'll see kind of how he gets his feet with an Aberdeen. Uh, he could end up at double A by the end of the year, just given his age. And, you know, if that continues into 2023 and then goes to AAA, there's a chance maybe by the end of 2023 that he gets up into the majors. He'll be about 24. But they're going to be cautious with him, obviously, with his background, just making sure no hitches come off. And that was the one positive thing about his injury this year, the start of the year, was a hamstring strain, was it was a baseball thing. So yeah. if you had to take a positive out of an injury, it was the fact that there was nothing going on with anything or anything sort of medical. It was all it was all just physical. And what Mike Elias and, and his, you know, and company have done since they got there, what was that in 2018 or like before the 2019 season? It's just so impressive. And I feel like the Orioles farm system is stocked before he got there. They like really lacked international talent. Like that was kind of a, a story that they didn't really spend money on the international market. And, and that has changed somewhat. And I think they've nailed the last few drafts. And we, we talked to uh, Jason Mackey, a Pirates beat writer a couple weeks ago and Ian Rogers of, of the Royals. And I think a, a theme of my questions are like, not even questions, just statements, is that like as these teams go from rebuild to contending, it's not just about the top level prospect. It's about like nailing some rule five picks and like, you know, some some under the radar guys because you need more than just a few players to like turn this into a, a really contending operation, like to, to make it sustainable. Um, and the Orioles have probably done that even better than than those two other teams. And we're seeing a lot of that this year. 
with some non-household names. My last question for you is who are they going to take on Sunday <laughs> in the draft? They, <laughs> I mean, Zach is shaking to, his head. <laughs> we talked. We talked to Elias, and he said the only thing I've been he's had like four top picks in his career. He had he had he, he was there the year they picked Bregman and, and Tucker and Houston. And he said the only thing I've done consistently in my drafting is that I don't tell anyone who we're going to pick. So <laughs> yeah, it's completely anyone's guess. You know, Drew Jones is maybe the top sort of can't miss talent, but you've seen in years past that they don't always go for that. And kind of what, what you're alluding to a little bit before is they sort of see the international as such an important piece of their operations now. They see the draft as such an important piece. They don't really feel like they can fail in those areas because of the, the division they play in, because of the smaller market they play in. They, they just can't go for some of those big fish free agents. Um, so they have to have sort of a sustainable roving farm system international market in order to supplement the talent sort of vacuum that they'll have otherwise. Um, so in that sense, that leads me to think they're going to take someone that's just a little bit more surefire. Um, they've been sort of linked with Brooks Lee a little bit. He's actually named after Brooks Robinson. So that would be a nice story, <laughs> but you know, he's closer too, right? He's, I mean, the other Jackson holiday is the other top yeah. name, uh, of course, two sons of major leaguers, Drew Jones and Jackson holiday right at the top, but yeah. you know, they're prep players. Brooks Lee's from Cal Poly. He's, he's closer to the majors, So you know, the wait wouldn't be quite as long. Uh, but I think in most mocks, you'd say Jones and Holiday are at the top. But given how the Orioles have kind of conducted things, like he said, teams look at the the entire pie as far as their allotment of cash. So I, I think you could maybe justify a Lee over Jones or Holiday if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually asked Elias about that. And I, I, I said, you haven't taken a, a high school or say for Gunnar Henderson in the top rounds. How do you feel? Do you feel like the data is caught up or you can project the high school a little bit better? And he said, I love high school hitters. He, I've taken some in Houston. I mean, obviously Correa was, was one of those that he took. Uh, that's yeah. kind of his claim to fame as a, as a scouting director. But yeah, I mean, I, I could see them going for it. Maybe they do feel reassured enough by the current talent pool they have that they will take a little bit more of a risk at the top overall pick. Um, you know, Holiday and, and uh, Jones are, are, are definitely on their boards. Um, Tamar Johnson was someone they hosted at Camden Yards for a workout and they've been linked with him publicly. Um, so that's kind of, if they don't go Jones, maybe it's Tamar Johnson. Um, but they, they have typically gone center fielder, catcher, shortstop and, you know, save for Heston Kerstad, they, they've gone for that pretty much in every top round. So, but like I said, like, like Elias said, they, they don't tell anyone until it's ready time to tell anyone. So we'll have to wait and see. You're younger than us, but even, you know, being as young as you are, hearing Jackson holiday and drew Jones as like the top two prospects. That's got to make you feel old too, right? Jackson holiday is definitely a little bit more uh, than, <laughs> than Andrew Jones's kid. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was in St. Louis last year. So I was around Matt holiday and it was around, you know, he, he still seems like he could be you a know, pop 20 off if he needed to. Oh, yeah. And yep. um, yeah, I, 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 that does get, that does get you a little bit. I mean, Jackson, I, Jackson holiday looks really young. Like he just looks really young. And his, uh, he's got a younger brother that's what like a freshman on that same high school team that's supposedly even better than Jackson. Hmm. So, I mean, props to Matt for <laughs> bringing up a family of future superstars in this league. Uh, yeah. yeah, thanks so much for, for joining us, Zach. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know it's an off day for you, and you guys don't get too many off days as beat writers. Yeah, no, no worries at all. I appreciate you guys having me. It was a pleasure. I've been listening, and uh, glad to finally hop on. 
Yeah, this is definitely an exciting time, I think, to cover the Orioles. I mean, they're they're on a run right now. They've got talent coming up from the minors. They've got the number one pick in the draft. I mean, I, I'm from Maryland as well, so, like, wow. there's nothing quite like going to Camden Yards when it's packed and the Orioles are relevant. I mean, it's still the, the standard as far as, like, a beautiful ballpark. Amazing stadium, so yeah. I just yeah. Like, I hope that they can, you know, get something sustainable there going. It looks like they're well on their way, so definitely a fun – you know, covering that team, I think it's going to be a blast. Yeah, well, I covered I covered the Cards on their 17 game win streak last year, and I just got another Bird team going off right now. So we'll, we'll see how far it goes. Birds. <laughs> if you like what you're hearing with this show, be, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review if you don't mind. Five stars, always appreciated. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. I'm at DJ Short. Drew is at Drew Silve. Take care, everyone. We will see you next time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.